This is The Strategist, episode 973. My name is Zane Velge. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, we are back. It is Wednesday. You know, many people don't know this. We actually retired over the weekend. Yeah. And then we decided... There's a lot of unfinished business. We spent about a good two days with our families, and we said, you know what we said? We said, fuck this. We said we have a lot of unfinished business on the pod, so we're back. We're unretiring. Just want to let you know. Yeah, Carter is literally wearing a suit right now. I think he mistook this for his bail hearing. (laughs) Yeah, why are you wearing a suit, Carter? Uh, I have to get a job, so I (laughs) have to look good. (laughs) You do realize it's, like, it's an audio medium, that if there's any prospective employers... No, I was trying to get a job side. before this, and it's cold in the basement, so I'll, you know, because Heather won't turn on the heat because I haven't got a job. So, you know, like, it's it's a fucking vicious circle. Comedy so, comes it, from truth. It's You know, we, we are a charitable bunch. Uh, Carter, we will give you a couple of seconds of airtime to make the Stephen Carter pitch, uh, if you'd like to, uh, at the top. We know this moment right now on the pod is when... The most amount of people will be listening. Stephen Carter, the experience is vast. The campaign's legendary. Stephen Carter, the pitch for employment. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't want anybody who listens to this podcast to hire me. Like, that would be the worst. No, don't hire. No, I don't. I'm not desperate yet. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It's good. Thanks, yeah. Carter. Thanks. No for, worries. Thanks for being a team player putting it back on us but we are indeed Corey, back on the field just like tom brady uh just like flair airlines back on the field uh guys <laughs> let's move it on to our first segment did i just make uh, actually i just realized what i said there uh let's yeah, move it on really to our good. first it's really our good. first segment the people's republic of alberta yes indeed let's cover all things alberta there's so many things to cover i want to do this in quasi rapid fire format it's not going to be the like the lightning round, but I'm trying to get through this quickly. So I'm going to throw a couple things at you. I want to get your hot takes. We'll go back and forth. I'll call time. We'll move on. It'll be like that show, Corey, you always wanted to invent for television. Part of the interruption for politics. We're going to try it here. Okay. Uh, first thing, Stephen Carter, Brian Jean. He's now in 63% of the vote in Fort McMurray. Uh, his first message when getting interviewed effectively, and I'm going to paraphrase here, fuck you, Jason Kenney. Stephen Carter. Thoughts about Brian Jean, his win now inside the UCP when Brian Jean is back. Yeah, I mean, if he'd been kicked out of the caucus, that would have been spectacular. Um, you know, but I mean, the, the premier, you know, Premier Kenny has had people disrespecting him from inside his caucus almost from day one. I mean, it took two and a half years to get rid of Drew Barnes. So uh, if it takes two and a half years to get rid of uh, Brian Jean, well, I'm sure there'll be a new leader. So maybe it'll all work out. Anything surprising in his victory, either the percentage of how big he won by, how quickly uh, he has not, he hasn't even pivoted, but how aggressively he's talking about Jason Kenney. And then, of course, he's on every media outlet today trying to sell UCP memberships. Yeah, I think anyone who had a radio program or a TV program, he was there trying to slog more UCP memberships. Thoughts on Brian Jean's win last night? Yeah, uh, I don't think anything about it is remotely shocking. And I think the reaction to it as a result is surprising to me. People are really updating their priors an awful lot for the most, the most predictable event in the world. Brian Jean won in Fort McMurray with a big majority. 
stop the fucking presses. But, you know, <laughs> the, the reality is it, it is now spitting out this narrative that is unhelpful to Jason Kenney. Hilarious because, again, of course this was going to happen. Predictable, but the pre- yes. The predictability of it also brings me back to what in the world was Jason Kenney thinking letting him run in the first place? He he couldn't not, Corey. I mean, he had to let him we're here, run. We're back. We're back. Gra- we're back. <laughs> we're back to six months ago. Well, Excellent. Yeah. Carter, are you going to choose the same side? Yeah. I mean, he, 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 well, he had to let him run. Period. End no, of story. He didn't. Yes, he no, did. He didn't. Grassroots guarantee. I sent you the graphics 36 yeah, times. Yeah, and it was – well, the grassroots guarantee was about policy created by the grassroots, not I'm going to have somebody openly insubordinate running for me and I'm happily going to sign his papers. So – Corey, any reflection from your perspective now seeing that Gene is in, he's sticking with this message that he had throughout his by-election race. Now that he's in the tent, any benefit for Kenny? Like any upside for Kenny now that Brian Gene is in his party with three weeks to go to April 9th, which will be the second topic I want to hit in, in a second here? Yeah, I mean, I guess if there's enough knives in your back, your death is short. So that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, suit wearing Stephen Carter. Any retort? Um, it's just a jacket. It's not a suit. I'm wearing jeans okay. with it. So, um, any retort? No. I mean, there, this is exactly what was expected to happen, and it has happened. So, no upside, no downside. It just is what it is. So let's talk about. Let's uh, go ahead, Corey. Well, I was going to say this is a pattern that we've identified of Jason Kenney, where he'll do the thing that wins him the moment. Yeah, it looks great. I'm a champion of the grassroots guarantee. I'm so happy to let Brian Jean, a guy who wants to rat fuck me every day of the week except Sunday when he's busy double rat fucking me, I'm going to let him run. And, and yeah, okay, you look like the big man then, but now you're the small man today. I, like, There's not a lot of reason to allow this situation to, to occur the way it did. Eight rat fucks a week. Guys, let's move it on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Carter, are you going to get any employment with this podcast? Is it possible? No, I think (laughs) we're going to have to monetize. We have have to monetize. There's no question. Uh, Let's talk about the membership yeah. sales. Uh, rumors, rumors about, right? Several thousand, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000, who knows? And who knows in which direction? But both of you have, have kind of staked your claim in terms of what the momentum, the conversation, the rumor mill heading into April 9th looks like for Jason Kenny. Stephen Carter, are you changing course from your perspective? And remind me of your perspective. You were, were you with Team Corey who said, Kenny's going down, or are you on the other side here? And, and where do you stand now? I, I, I'm, I was with Corey, and I had a moment of weakness where I thought, you know, um, maybe these numbers are getting so big that there has to be organization behind them. I'm actually behind, behind, behind the premier, you mean? Right. So the idea is that, that the numbers are so large, someone must be out there organizing. And then I'm reminded that the numbers are so large, there is no one who can organize this big. If Jason Kenny has organized, I mean, right now, the last number I heard that can, I think can was... You, can you hold off on that point? I, I just want yeah. you to repeat that point. That's a really interesting take. So say it one more time, just so I'm clear. You're saying that the numbers you thought were so large that they're being organized, but now that they're too large to actually be organized, explain that. There's a limit on, on our skills as political organizers, and we need things to... Essentially, it's the equivalent of going viral. 
right? You need things to go viral in order to pull people into, into your little adventures. And so when, when we're looking at something that's relatively small and it's, and it's, uh, it's very easy for us to organize something that's relatively small, uh, it, as it grows a little bit bigger, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of saying, well, we'll have a little house party. Uh, we'll call over a couple of friends. It's just going to be a dinner party. And then, you know what? Let's make it a real party. We'll invite everybody over for the Super Bowl. And then there's the, oh my God, everybody from my high school crashed my party. Party, And that is out of your control. You're, it's gone viral. And I think that this is where we are with this leadership, where, you know, and, and the experience I have with this is watching Allison Redford, Ed Stelmack, when they're 78%, um, you know, uh, their approvals, that was organized. That was coordinated. Even Brian Mulrooney, when he organized and coordinated against Joe Clark, only got 34% of the vote, right? So organizing and pushing and coordinating these numbers uh, feels to me like it's beyond organizer's skill. This has now gone to virality, and virality is very difficult to predict. I suspect that most things go viral for negative reasons. I suspect this is the same thing here. It's gone viral for negative reason. Corey, react to that. And, and are you are you doubling down where your head is at in terms of or where your heart might be at? Because we actually don't really know some of these numbers. We just know some of the reporting and some of the speculation. Are you sticking with your position? Are you altering your position with what you might be sensing, you know, might happen three weeks from now? Yeah, I think you were almost doing me a favor, making me sound more definitive about it than I was last week. I'm probably as definitive as you've said now, uh, Mm. as we've gotten a few more data points. But last week, I I was heavy on hedge. I was saying, well, we don't know what kind of data is out there. We're not really sure how much the premier's office or uh, people around the premier, probably better put, are organizing these numbers out. 3,500 was a big number, but now we're hearing numbers... 8,000, expecting 10,000, you know, big, big numbers. And to Stephen's point, it somewhat strains credulity that that's, that's been organized out. I mean, even think about just the sheer dollars involved. Assume half of them are youth votes, right? Uh-oh. Assume half of them are youth votes. That's still $750,000 of registration fees. If, if that is money that they have, that's that's probably more money than you would sort of expect for them to have at hand. And if that is money they didn't have and they encouraged people to part with it, then you would see much better fundraising numbers for the UCP in the past couple of years than you have, right? Like there's just not the sense that there's that kind of money in a grassroots sense available to Jason Kenney. And the number is just so strikingly large. The other thing is I just don't understand – well, this is a detour, but I don't understand what they're going to do with all of these people in Red Deer. At this point, like my mind breaks on the logistics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How are they all going to show up? And it, like, this is a recipe for a clusterfuck. And if it is, nobody's going to trust the result no matter what it is. If it ends up half of these people can't vote because they had to park three counties over and hitchhike into the hotel, I mean, what, what is going to happen here? The throughput in a hall you need for 10,000 people is a little mind-boggling. People tend to discount just how many people that is, but that's that's a significant number. That's a fire code and ballroom was broken decades ago kind of number, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that means. I need and I'm to not talk sure. To, I, I need to talk to you guys about this particular point. So uh, logistics and legitimacy. Carter, get me your reactions on that. Is there, and I hate to look at it because, you know, we talk about this, on the heels and during a broader conversation on democratic fragility. But from a political strategy perspective, 
there will be people there that will want to poison the well one way or another. Not going well for you, call the results in question. What's your escape hatch? Look at the logistics. They're a clusterfuck. Talk to me about that in terms of a political party, how they prepare for a legitimate outcome if the logistics are looking freaking damning for them. Like, as Corey mentioned, perhaps near impossible. Like, 10,000 people fitting into a a venue, um, if it it does indeed look like that. Carter, your thoughts on that? And uh, Corey, I want to come back to you on this as well for further reflections. I mean, it, 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 Corey's right. It, this has the recipe for disaster. Um, if it is somehow miraculously pulled out of the fire and people are able to park, like the the way you would have to do this, if, if you were organizing 10,000 people, you would essentially need to be doing the parking. So you got to manage the parking in and out. You've got to manage everybody going into the space. You got to then manage getting everybody back out of the space and moving their cars so the next people can come, can come in. Um, this is going to be a logistics nightmare. And if it takes people two and three and four hours to vote, uh, and if you start seeing reports on Twitter um, and Facebook that people couldn't vote because they couldn't get there, then regardless of the outcome, it's going to be suspect. And that's not an issue if, if it's kind of like 35 percent for, you know, for the rebels or 35 percent for Kenny. Um, that's not a problem. If it's 55, 45, um, that is a problem. And that's where people will start to spin it. And I know even with Alison Redford, when she got 78%, people were saying that it was fixed by the party because it was the same numbers as Ed Stelmack. Like they wouldn't fix it, like 82. Like, are you crazy? Like, yeah, we're going to fix it to the exact same fucking numbers as Ed Stelmack. Don't think stupid thoughts. Try and think smart thoughts. And, you know, so it's, it's hard for people, Zane. You have to help them. So I think that this, if it's close, um, yeah, there could be some people who... We're on the other side of the voting uh, that, that aren't going to be able to vote because of logistics, and it's going to cast a, a cloud over this whole process. Corey, Corey, with a potential cloud being cast, how are you looking at this if you're, for example, one of the sides? or I know that the rebel side is splintered in, in many subgroups, but are you calling this? Are you mentioning it early? Are you talking about how are you kind of pre-programming, telegraphing that this is indeed going to be a clusterfuck, but also is simultaneously legitimate. Like, how do you do both of those things? Well, you say there's been overwhelming demand and we need people to be patient and you're going to have to park in a big field at Westerner Park and you're going to have to take a shuttle in or you're going to have to walk or whatever it is. But you've got to manage expectations in advance that this thing is going to be bloody messy. But 10,000 people's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. Just imagine any polling station in this country. You don't have 10,000 people there on Election Day. And just imagine every polling station you've ever been to. If it's during a busy time, you're going to wait. And this Uh is compressing it into a smaller period of time than a polling station has um, available to them. So I, I am really curious to see how they deal with this. If it feels like it's going to go truly, truly off the rails... In a rational universe, I think you would start planning additional polling stations, polling places. You would start maybe even thinking about, do you have online options? I don't think there's interest or appetite for that. The other thing that I would be wondering if I were Jason Kenney, and this is, this is a legitimate, legitimate thing I would be thinking, I feel, is once I get a handle on this, and if I get the sense I'm going to lose because these numbers are really big, and I'm, you know, once the list is secure, I'm sure they'll be calling around and figuring out exactly where they, where they are. Once the cutoff is, I should say. 
well, then why would I let this go forward at all? Like I would just mm. resign ahead of time because I, not, I don't want the last thing people to remember is me going down in absolute chaos and fist fights in parking lots in Red Deer. Let, let's let's dig into that. I know I wanted to go quasi rapid fire, but I need to dig into the Kenny War Room strategy. But before I do that, I need to ask both of you this question. You know, when we had this conversation, I forget when Kenny and his team and the party set these rules, but we ultimately said, you know, these are designed for his success. Carter was could could let's let's accept the virality argument that you put on the table, right? Could this virality? of people's determination, of people's overwhelming desire perhaps to be there, to mark an X against him, in terms of what we might be sensing. Could this be as a direct result of that that bar that Kenny set in his favor, neatly kind of contoured for his circumstances and his uh, desired result? Do you feel like this could be a bit of backlash against that? Talk to me about that from your perspective. You know, I'm not sure that that's what it is. Um, it may be a back. I know that the Kenny team's doing phoning today. Um, there's a number of reports of it on on Twitter. Um, it may be just kind of the whole picture, right? Maybe it's the whole All picture of, it, of saying, yeah, yeah I, I don't like this guy. I'm not a big fan of this guy. I'm not going to be, you know, um, you know, but I, I don't think it's the specifics of 50% plus one. I think it's more just the, the whole picture of it creating a negative taste in people's mouths. I mean, and when I, when I say the rules, I mean, show up to Red Deer in person, pay your fee. There's no online component, right? Like all the things that, that we thought would be logistical challenges seems to have now produced a number that, if correct, or even in the ballpark of being correct, could be the largest political gathering in this province's history yeah i think that i you know i, I don't know what to think zane i mean that you're asking me something that i if you were asking me how many people will show up at this thing yeah three thousand we're, we're well past twice that aiming towards three times that so we're outside of my expertise we're outside of my experience i've never organized i mean sure the virality of the election day i've seen that Right. Like I've seen, you know, election days that flip for us and flip against me, you know, my candidates. Right. Uh, I've seen that type of virality on a, on a regular basis every time there's an election. But to see something like this outside of the normal scope of, of an election, this is a big thing. I mean, when and was the when last you say time outside we saw of the normal scope? You mean like because people were putting quite literally like a commitment of travel, membership, et cetera. Is that what you mean? Is that why it's weird to you? Yeah, it's not an election. I mean, when was the last time we saw a 10,000-person protest? Like, we went to the NDP swearing-in in 2015. Do you remember that? And there was like 4,000 people in front of the legislation or legislature. Yeah. That, was, that was huge. That, and I would say, I, think I'm being, I don't think I'm being overly generous or overly pessimistic. That was about 4,000 people. That was one of the largest political gatherings I think I've ever been a part of. Corey, can, can, have you thought of anything that's bigger than that? There were a couple of Extinction Rebellion protests in Edmonton in 2018, 2019 that were big, but I don't think they were 10,000 big. And I mean, this could be the biggest political event, period, in this process. <laughs> <laughs> of the century, as Brian Jean would say. Corey, your reflections on Kenny's rule setting, the high bar he set for people to come, could that is, that, is there a backlash there potentially that could be uh, one of the resultant factors of some of the numbers we might be seeing? Well, I know I'm adding speculation on speculation, well, but here we are. 
Yeah, it's a turducken of speculation for sure. There, There is something to the fact that when you make it seem egregiously counterbalanced or balanced towards your side, that that actually becomes a proof point for why you got to get rid of the guy. And it becomes another thing that people say about, well, we're not going to let him get away with that. I'm not sure that's the prime driver here, but it is an interesting point because the logistical challenges were assumed by many, including us, to be his opponent's problem at the yes. start here. Yes. Now it appears it might be his, right? In, in a couple of different contexts. First is that you've now got to out-organize like a huge number of people and you've got to get them over that hurdle of wanting to show up and you've got some angry, intense opponents who are going to come hell or high water show up in Red Deer. Maybe you would have better luck with a broader vote where you would be able to to go and find kind of the moderate conservative who says, don't love the guy, but hey, we're at a deficit. Hey, everything's looking a little bit better now. Why don't we go? And then the other thing is, if anything goes wrong, he is the premier, he is the party leader, and he's going to be blamed for it. So it's quite an interesting uh, turnabout here. And it's one of these things that seems almost karmic in a certain context, but it's it's not really that. I mean, it's it's just a underestimation of how many people would show up. Um, I have to believe it's an underestimation. It, it's a lot of rumors out there right now. It's a lot of gossip. I, mm-hmm. I'm not really in the business of reporting it, but I will say there is a bit of a consensus that there is a lot of people who are showing up who were not party members before, right? Like big, we're talking into the four figures, a couple thousand is what it's approaching here of people who just had no previous membership in this organization. And as uh, you know, I would assume also some of the successor or predecessor organizations, they don't know what to do with that. Everything I'm hearing is they think, wow, that's a little alarming. Not really sure what to do with that. So uh, when you're just talking about a chunk like that that you cannot account for, what do you do? Like, what do you say? And uh, and I imagine it's uh, some dark times right now. Uh, even if – let's just assume maybe he's in a better position than perhaps we're all giving credit for. Mm-hmm. Definitely getting the sense they don't know that. Like they're in the full fog of war. There is not a lot of confidence going oh, on in this thing. Carter, it's 9 p.m. We're recording right now on this Wednesday. Let's enter the Jason Kenny war room. So they <laughs> oh, have better clarity than we do. Corey has proposed a solution that said, listen, if this is leading to inevitable defeat, do you just pull the plug? What considerations are you throwing in on a Wednesday night war room with Team Kenny right now. Let's say these numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood of what we've heard speculated. Um, what do you suspect uh, and what would you advocate for as some of the key considerations of conversation if you are a part of that war room conversation tonight, Carter? What are you throwing on the table and why? Well, I mean, there's only, I'm going to come to you for this as well. There's only been a couple of examples of people really getting routed um, in the leadership. I think Thomas Mulcair was the worst. Um the NDP have done it a couple of times, I think, where they've routed the previous leader in the leadership review. Um, we haven't seen it really on in the conservative world. I mean, the worst performer has been Ralph Klein um, when he got 55% and stepped down immediately thereafter. So history seems to be on his side. So that argument that I made about virality if you're in the Kenny War Room, you might be spinning yourself that the virality is positive for you. That you could be reaching a different conclusion than the virality, you know, than than what you know Corey and I have reached, right? So there, there there's two outcomes: you win or you lose, right? Um, 
forget about the tie or the perceived tie outcome just for now. Um, you may as well play the game and see how it ends up. I mean, still, we're three weeks away. Maybe this thing turns around. You know, three and a half weeks, maybe it turns, maybe, um, maybe, maybe the virality is on your side. I mean, maybe the telephone calls that are being made right now, you're being able to get huge voter identification. But if you're not, if the way, if, if you're calling every delegate and you're finding out that you're getting 25, 35, 45% IDs, then you've got to put resignation on the table. And resignation is just an immediate negotiation with Cynthia Moore, the party president, and, uh, major factions, but the party controls this. So it'd be very interesting because he could go to Cynthia Moore and say, I have decided I'm going to step down on January the 1st, 2023. Ergo, we do not need to proceed with the leadership review on the 9th because you've already received my resignation. And that might be perfectly allowed under the Constitution. So that would be where I would, I'd probably be pushing for something like that rather than an immediate resignation. You hear Carter make those remarks in the Kenny 9 o'clock War Room Microsoft Teams call. Uh, are you yes-anding or are you counterpointing what you've heard Stephen just say? Well, a little of both. First off, one of the things that Stephen brought up, maybe indirectly, maybe accidentally, but he said Mulcair got routed. Mulcair did not get routed. Mulcair got 48% of the vote, which is 2% lower than the bar that Jason Kenny has set for himself, Right. What Mulcair did, though, is also he said 70% was what he thought he needed to stay on. So, you know, a, a part of this is the expectation games. A true routing may occur here. Like, I'm I'm not going to say that with any confidence, but it's quite possible that if the numbers are really out of hand, that's the situation you find yourself in. And so, you know, I, I think you've got to kind of keep it on the table. But one of the interesting things about that conversation, and I've I've been on big campaigns that have had to have that conversation. Maybe this is the time to pull the plug. Uh, you know, especially when you think about it in a municipal context, often the consideration is vote splitting and, and who could uh-huh. potentially benefit or who could potentially be the mayor if you don't make that choice or things like that. It is fucking tough. But it's tough in content and it's also tough to know the moment because there's always signs on a campaign it's sort of like living in prehistorical times where you just you you see tea leaves that tell you what the gods are thinking everywhere right mm-hmm. sparks from the fire say oh you know what maybe there'll be backlash to brian gene he's taken some extreme positions and now he's more in the spotlight maybe people will now rush to to stop that uh you you all of a sudden hear a crack of thunder and you think do you know what a- actually We've had a pretty good turn here, and we've seen some polling that shows that a majority, well, not like on the intensity side, but an overall majority of conservatives support Jason Kenney. So why are we afraid of big numbers? And you tell yourself these moments or these stories in these moments. Mm. And because there is that hope that's floating out there and there are those signs from the gods that other people are pointing to, it takes a certain amount of courage to stand up and say – that's actually kind of bullshit. Like here, here's why there's not not these things here. But if you do it at a moment before other people are willing to hear that conversation, people can close ranks. People can go the other way, uh, or they become so bloody demoralized. And you've done it before the game is actually called. So you've got to know the right moment to have that conversation. And um, if I were on Jason Kenny's team right now, now would not be the moment. We're not at the cutoff yet. 
Uh, I don't have a clear understanding of where those numbers land. And I wouldn't even allow people to be speaking those words outside of like my smallest group of confidence. Um, because if people get the sense that that's under contemplation, it's, it's done. It becomes self-fulfilling. It's over, right? Uh, people take their foot off the gas. Uh, they say, well, he's just going to resign anyways. You have nothing. You do end up having to resign. It's done. So you got to be careful when you have that conversation. We've talked, Brian Jean. We've talked the April 9th leadership review. Guys, I want to go for another quick one. That was not quick. I want to go for a quick one. Stephen <laughs> Carter, did you tune in to the first episode of Our Leader, Our Premier? Did you tune in to that great hour of talk radio with uh, dear leader, Premier Jason Kenney, on the Chorus Airwaves? I, I followed on Twitter. I uh, I found myself not in a position to find Calgary Redneck Radio on my radio dial. It was pretty upsetting. Um, but uh, I did follow along on Twitter, saw the questions, saw the answers, and uh, mostly was distracted by the lack of clarification when one of the questioners would ask something was based in a falsehood. Um, the premier never corrected. I always kind of moved past the falsehood and just kind of uh, tried to you know, keep all the negativity flowing all the time. Everything's someone else's fault, not his. Corey, zooming out here for a second, the controversy or, or the conversation was certainly that Premier uh, Jason Kenney given an hour of talk radio on the chorus airwaves across Edmonton and Calgary, maybe all of Alberta, if it uh, could be quite possible. Your thoughts on the on the conversation and the controversy? Overblown in your mind? Was it appropriate? I'm, I'm curious to get both of your takes on this, Carl. I'll come to you for your actual take on the situation. But your thoughts, Corey? I think a little overblown. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing when politicians make themselves available to the public, as long as it's being run pretty uh, correctly by chorus and they're not sort of vetting out the, the people who have critical questions. It's not a ton different from a Facebook Live or any number of other channels. You know, it's become quite common even in government and political circles to do a call out via phone for everyone, like this telephone town hall notion, I suppose. It's it's in some ways old-fashioned. It's something that politicians have done for a while. Everybody knows FDR did this. It wasn't bad then, and it's not bad now. Where it kind of blurs is when you're all of a sudden talking about potentially money changing hands for what could be partisan political purposes. So you wouldn't want the government to be paying for that. And there was some suggestion that there was some sort of quid pro quo where the government bought ads. That's not great, but I just don't know enough about the details there. Uh, I, on its surface, it doesn't seem crazy to me that a premier would be given a radio call-in show. Carter, you know, um, the the counter-argument or, or one of the arguments against by many was that this is not like having a mayor like Doug Ford or Nahid Nenshi or others who've had call-in shows in the past, you know, do a call-in show, that this is a premier who's got an opposition, you know, that there's, uh, this is perhaps a disproportionate sort of uh, favor by chorus. Your thoughts on the concept of uh, this radio show by uh, by Jason Kenny on the overblown in your mind? Is it is the controversy worth it? Or do you feel like this will kind of live up to anything? I kind of am on the same side as Corey. I mean, this isn't a big deal. I mean, back in the day, Ralph Klein talked directly to the people, and we thought that was a great thing. Um, I don't fault him for using the tactic. I do. I would prefer that he just simply bought it 
as a infomercial. I mean, I said to someone, I don't maybe I said on the podcast, I'm not even sure, but Drew Farrell, when she ran in 2001 to be a counselor, bought a half an hour of Ask the Experts on QR770 or whatever the hell it was called back then. Um, Dahad Denchi bought an hour of television on what was then the A Channel in City, 2010. City TV. City yeah. TV. So, you know, this is not an unusual situation. Um, you know, the mayor goes on, you know, every week on some channels, um, on some stations. This is not a, it's not a big deal. I, I, I think that when they when they bought the advertising around it, in that just clouded it. If if the if, mm. if they hadn't bought any advertising, if John Voss at QR seven seventy had just decided that, oh, we're just gonna put them on the radio um, because it's going to be good for our advertising and good for our ratings and it's good for the people who are listening, then none of us would have anything to say. But they clouded it by buying the advertising, which makes it look like it's a paid program, which then make that, which then begs the question, where, where does the editorial contro- control lie? Uh, I think Wayne Nelson's a, an honorable person who will do the honorable thing. I, I got to say, I also just sort of, don't place a super high value on an hour of radio time at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. I, I just don't. I, maybe I I'm bet wrong. It was the highest how, rated. How dare you? I would bet you. it was the highest rated hour on you know in months on the. I, well, this is, this is almost my point, right? right? Like there, there is obvious benefit to chorus here. Like yeah. I can understand why they would be interested in doing that, and in that case, like it doesn't seem like a favor to the premier so much as chorus is trying to drive listeners because there's no way that that's a particularly compelling hour in terms of listenership i would bet all the money in my pockets the podcast you're all listening to right now has far and away more listeners uh than the 10 a.m to 11 a.m slot province in alberta shots shots fired to the 10 to 11 a.m hour we're we're going after it we go after the curse of politics (laughs) canadaland fuck you too and now we're going after our leader, our premier. We're going after him. We go after all the competitors. We've elevated them in the competition, unfortunately, mm-hmm. by this fight that I've now realized. Uh, but, Corey, don't slag weekend radio. As the former host of the Zane Velji show, which had a great five-episode run <laughs> on weekend radio. Don't slag that was, it. That's a, that's a Carter-esque tenure. That was, that was a Carter-esque yeah. tenure. I, I wore blazers for months after that. Let me tell you something. I wore, I wore blazers for months. Uh Let's let's move it on to the final element or the final topic I want to talk about, Carter. I'm going to start with you on this. This could take us an hour, and I really don't want it to, but there's a reason I want to start with you because I want you to set the frame here. So this the, the segment here is the People's Republic of Alberta. Brian Jean, the April 9th Leadership Review, Jason Kenney's talk show. We have to talk about a much more local issue, the Calgary police here in our city oh. uh, and, the rela- and the relationship with police protests and counter-protesters. Carter, do you want to set the table on this? And we can have a brief conversation on this, and then we'll move it on to to what I promise will be a deep dive of sorts on something that isn't this. The city of Calgary has been faced with anti-vax protesters, and, and it's kind of picked up um, other disaffected audiences that have just joined in, and anti-vax, anti-mask, uh, return to freedom, the free dumb uh, fighters, if you will. And they've been going on uh, for months. Every every Saturday, um, they've been gathering, sometimes at, at City Hall, and then they march. And they march 
Um, they were marching down Memorial Drive sometimes. And other times they've been marching down uh, 17th Avenue, which is kind of a uh, heavily populated, heavily uh, you know, drag, if you will, um, lots of residences, lots of businesses. And, and of late, that's been their primary focus is to march down 17th Avenue. Um, the police have allowed them to do this, uh, regardless of the fact that this is not a permitted pr- parade. They haven't got any of the permits for their requisite for closing a road. So it's been a stunt that's been arguably very dangerous because uh, anytime you stat- set out to, to uh, stop traffic flow in Calgary, it's very dangerous. Um, there was a counter protest last week from Beltline residents primarily, but others who are opposed to the uh, freedom side. And the police, in dealing with this, chose to move the counter protesters, uh, chose to engage with them. And, and there's video of those police officers engaging in in a fairly aggressive fashion to to move people out of the way and and a large part of the problem i would say is even just the way that the count, the officers looked they looked angry they looked like they were trying to move people instead of looking professional um so it was a it was a counter pro you know a protest and then a counter protest and it seems like when the police were finally asked to act they chose the counter protesters to act on and they have yet to act in any meaningful way for the protesters and that's raised a number of questions that set it up there zane yeah it did Corey. you know one of the criticisms that this calgary police service is facing is just two sides in the communication i, I want to get your thoughts on how they've communicated this their chief spoke for a, i think close to 40 minutes the day after made a statement took questions uh this police on that evening put out a statement which also got slammed uh quite aggressively talk to me about what you saw in terms of the communications and carter I'm going to come back to you with perhaps a sensitive question thereafter. But, Corey, talk to me about the communications first and and what you saw from your perspective. Yeah, well, I didn't think they were good. Let's just sort of start there because then I then I can kind of unpack from from there. When the chief of police, uh, Newfeld, came out and started talking about the situation and how, geez, it seems like people are blaming the police here. It's like, well, yeah, people are blaming the police here because it seemed like uh, one side was being treated more aggressively. And that was the side that was fed up with people who had been holding these protests for a year. And uh, these these people who had been protesting for a year were doing it with total disregard to the community. And why is it that the counter-protesters are the ones that the police decided to move back rather than the protesters? And, um, and as Stephen said, it seemed fairly aggressive. It seemed aggressive not just in action, but in in kind of the way the police carried themselves. And so, if you are um, if you're sort of observing all of this, and and you see the the police chief kind of just be like, well, it's all equivalent. It's hard mm-hmm. not to draw those mm-hmm. parallels to Charlottesville in in the United States with the you know these uh, you know literal Nazis protesting on one side against counter-protesters and, and uh, Trump saying, well, just find people on both sides. It's not, a, it's not the same thing. Uh, let's be really clear on that. By and large, uh, there are for sure far right, uh, you know, white supremacist elements who have gotten in with that uh, free dumb mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. group there. Um, there's a, but, you know, there, there's not a moral equivalency between these two sides. There's simply not. And for, for the police not just to, to sort of 
lean into this and, and spout off kind of these just weird conspiracy theories about professional protesters on the anti-protest side was was not just tone deaf, but also hit like a million right-wing trigger conspiracies here that that people know at this point, like the both sides and the idea of professional protesters this close to basically saying George Soros paid for them, for Christ's sake. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's language that is well They were understood. swimming in that lane, so to speak. They were swimming yeah. in that lane. And yeah. I've said this before in different contexts, but there are there are times when language takes on a meaning beyond literal. And you say something and it feels like a wink to everybody observing, right? A wink to one side. We call these words shibboleths, right? Like one tribe immediately understands mm-hmm. them. They, their use denote you with one tribe or the other. And it was pretty clear that the chief of police in Calgary was using a, a number of right-wing shibboleths, identifying himself with the protesters that are making the good people of the Beltline want to pull their damn hair out here. And so then uh, you kind of pile on this almost like cluelessness attitude, like why would anybody be blaming us? And yeah, I, I mean, the whole the thing the was just... people speak. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a, a, a bit of a failure there. And I was, I was, I will admit, totally shocked that the that the police then decided to tweet it out like hey check out this press conference that our police chief had that was widely panned by the community he was trying to address right like that in some ways seemed inflammatory was the purpose of the news conference not to talk to the community that was feeling angry why would you then put out a news conference that exacerbated that anger i did not understand it or maybe a better way to say is I do understand it, but if I'm understanding it, it says bad things about the way we're running policing in the city of Calgary. Carter, let's talk about the politics here. Where does political leadership interact, intersect with policing? I.e., what would what would a council, what would a city, what would a mayor need to do after what you observe? What would you be doing if you were elected in that position? What would you be advocating and arguing for? Well, let's let's begin by reminding our listeners that we have a governance problem when it comes to police forces. We saw it in in Ottawa with the Ottawa Police Board. We're seeing it now here in Calgary with the Calgary Police Commission. The commission is the group that is in charge. They are the only ones who can hire or fire a police chief. They can't dictate any anything. So when the letter that was sent from the uh, from city council was written to the police commission, they don't have the authority to dictate anything. Um, they they simply send a request that basically says, please ask your officers if they'd be so kind as to enforce the law equitably. Um, you know, because when when police services choose which laws they're going to enforce and which laws they're not going to enforce, they remove themselves as law enforcement and they become essentially the entire legal system. Right. The legal system is set up so that you have law enforcement and then you have the judicial system. And then if required, you have the punishment system, which is our jail system system and things like that. But these are supposed to be separate. So far, you know, like, but the the police, when they are judge and jury, and that's what they're being. When you choose to enforce laws and you choose, you know, you are choosing to allow some people to get away with certain things. And if it happens that the people that you are allowing to get away with certain things happen to be white, happen to agree with your point of view, that's a real problem. Right. Because if this was happening with a different group of protesters, and this is the point of the uh, Black Lives Matter group, we just saw Black Lives Matter protests. The police chose to act differently. 
The the police are choosing to act differently now. And they say it's because they don't, you know, they don't feel empowered to enforce and whatever. I think that that has been eroded by their actual behavior. Their actual behavior has been different than that. And so if I was an elected person, I'd be writing to the police commission saying, please hold your chief accountable or submit your resignations to the city council because we were the ones who appointed you to this position and we expect you to hold this police chief accountable. Submit your resignation so we can appoint people who will hold this police chief accountable. Corey, you wanted to jump in here? Yeah, I, I do want to say Stephen is talking in kind of definitive terms, but the these aren't clear lines and there is a place for discretion in policing. I don't want the police to ticket everybody who jaywalks, everybody who... Uh, you know, as a drug user, uh, send them to jail. I think that would be wrong and it would also be an abuse. And I also think the police need to know when not to exacerbate a situation. But but that's not really what we're talking about. But Corey, when they're choosing not to give the jaywalking tickets to one group of people, but they give the jaywalking tickets to the other group of people, that, you know, so if they're showing discretion equally, if they if they truly are an unbiased force, then then I'm fine with some discretion. But when you can't be, when you can't be equal, then you must be, you must enforce everything equally. And and they are proving that they do not have the capacity to behave in and an equal fashion. Yeah. So as I was saying, that's that's where I was going. Like we now are talking that's about where you're going. No, I mean I was fucking hell. I was <laughs> literally in the middle of talking when you cut me off. We're talking about one side being treated than a different side for exactly the same kind of activities, and that and that's where people are are I think rightfully riled up here. You know, the other thing I want to say is I I don't like that I picked up on Carter's free dumb language. I, I was kind of mad at myself for using it the second after I used it. There's an interesting mix of deeply misguided people, deeply selfish people, people with no purpose, and then absolute fucking assholes. Absolute fucking assholes. And I don't know what the ratios are on all of this here, too. But I do think, uh, you know, we've talked about this. We can't we can't vilify the people in some of those earlier categories the same way we're treating the absolute fucking assholes. Um, it's it's a mess, but I, it's not a mess that's going to be cleaned up if the police continue to act in this fashion. And uh, we do need to have a conversation about policing in this country. We've seen manifestations of this across the board. We've seen Ottawa, obviously, and what the police were able to do and not able to do. Uh, combination of all sorts of factors there. We have seen Calgary, as we've just been talking about. We have all sorts of situations in other cities where there are the number of, like, uh, you know, People who've died at police hands have gone up. And we also have ones like Vancouver recently, those of you who've been following that, where the city of Vancouver tried to cut the budget of the Vancouver police and were overridden by uh, like a director in the provincial government and said, no, you can't cut the police, which is a bit shocking to people who think that municipalities actually should be responsible for things. So there, there has been for a very long time an acceptance of a police force outside of what we consider normal political processes, right? And it has been a power unto itself. And we have had police commissions, and I'm not trying to paint too broad of a brush, but that meet infrequently, talk about things superficially, and don't actually hold these uh, these groups to account. And Carter's point about talking to the commissions is a good one, but it's more than that. It's yeah. changing the way the commissions work. It's getting commissioners on who are willing to have those hard conversations. And uh, it's taking it seriously and not just as another one of those appointments that the city has to do. Carter, I won't jump in here, but finish this off here. 
ultimately, we need to change the police act. Um, the police act is written in such a fashion that there is very little accountability. A, a large number of our acts are, were written years ago when we were smaller centers, uh, where people, you know, you could ask for volunteers to oversee the police service. Well, the police service is now a $400 million organization in Calgary, about the same in Edmonton. These two police services have, you know, have been trapped in their own performance as well. And, you actually need to get better as a police service. We are looking at a time when citizens are demanding more and better out of our police service. And our police officers, frankly, are confused about what they're supposed to be doing. And some strong leadership from police commissions uh, or from from elected officials. Uh, I'd be fine seeing a police commission model in Alberta that was 50 percent elected and 50 percent paid community members who are overseeing um, these uh, these important functions uh, that, frankly, when they go wrong, have the chance of people being killed. We had another person killed in Edmonton just this week. Um, this is life and death, and the acts that govern these these police services are simply inadequate. Corey, you wanted to jump in before yeah. we wrap up? Look, police don't feel understood, uh, and they, they feel more and more insular all the time. Community feels increasingly like the police are unaccountable. And let's not create like this sense that this is a new problem. In fact, I think police forces by and large are are much more ethically run organizations than they were a generation or two ago. But let's not let this get out of hand. Let's address this now. Let's bridge that gap back. Let's bring more of a focus on community policing. Let's stop buying fucking tanks for people and start talking again. I think the police would be appreciative of that too. Tell them what their job is and ask them to do their job. Tell them what I think most people appreciate that. We're going to leave that segment there. Move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, bringing a marketing textbook to a knife fight. That is right, guys. We are the marketing textbook of the strategists, and we are bringing it to the knife fight that is the conservative leadership race. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend some time. I want to spend some time using our strategy and marketing lens to analyze the launches and the initial collateral and tactics of the three main competitors, I would say, in the conservative leadership race, one Pierre Polyevra, one Jean Charest, one Patrick Brown. I want to talk about their slogans. I want to talk about a bit about their websites, their conversion. We'll talk about what that means, tactics, uh, their branding. And I want you to start by giving me a grade for each of the folks as we go through them. So, Carter, as I always say, the only way to start is to start. Stephen Carter, Patrick Brown. Let me lay out some of the Patrick Brown materials here. It's not Patrick Brown on the website. It's Mayor Brown. It's not PatrickBrown.ca. If you were to go onto your website right now or onto your, your web browser right now and try to find PatrickBrown.ca, I don't know where it would lead. It might forward you to this. But this is the main URL, FighterLeaderWinner.ca. I want to talk about that choice. And then I want to talk about the strategic choice on uh, after a day of launching to a room that was quite sizable, arguably the largest launch size of any of the three competitors. Uh, picking a fight directly with Pierre Polyerv on the Nikab band. Stephen Carter, those are the early days of the Patrick Brown campaign. What grade are you giving it? And then let's d- dive into a few of these elemental items that put on the table. Um, I'm going to, it's a mixed grade because he's done some really good stuff and he's done some really weird stuff. Uh, just for the record though, if you do go to patrickbrown.ca, you get a website called Think Nice Thoughts. 
the last post is from uh, uh, July 19th, 2019. Uh, Go Transit Model Railroad. Um, so very interesting stuff. Anyways, uh, the URL is Blog available. with two posts. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So um, Mayor Brown, uh, fighter, leader, winner, is um, ridiculous. First of all, um, I don't understand. Is, these... okay, hold on. Wait, I mean, re- hold on. Let's tease this out. Ridiculous as a slogan or ridiculous as a website URL for a campaign? I just want to. This is what I want to get into. This is the stuff we, uh, Cor- we nerd out on, Carter. Corey and I have done this before. I mean, you know, I think Joe Clark's was like honesty, integrity, trust. It's like three synonyms, you guys. We couldn't even fucking pick words that didn't, you know, meant other things. And it, meaningless, absolutely meaningless. The breakthrough we had with Joe Clark is when we moved away from honesty, integrity, trust. Like the campaign wanted us to go with a slogan that said Joe Clark for Calgary for Canada. What the fuck does that even mean? I don't know what these things mean. I don't know what fighter, leader, winner. I don't know what that means. But when we did Joe Clark, not just another pretty face, boom, things took off because people understood who we were talking about and what the critique was. And that was that Stockwell Day is a vapid, empty-headed conservative leader, which I think turned out to be fairly accurate in the overall scheme of things. Um, Mayor Brown... I get the Mayor Brown thing. There's a Mayor Pete thing to it. I can see that. But the fighter leader winner and having that being the URL, that's really bad. But when you go to the URL, it actually functions pretty well. Um, they get the pop-up for pledge your support right away and spread the word, which is interesting. Once you move past the pop-up, there's, there's, um, there's some information there. Why Patrick? Why? What matters? Um, you know, it's, it's not bad. A photo gallery, um, which is pretty good. It's a very so, early 2000s element yeah, but for a website. I, want, you know, I mean, eventually gallery. you're going to have this compared to Pierre Polyevre, who was the I'll first talk one to you in. I'll about that. Yeah, the first one in and is still using a link tree. So, you know, Mayor Brown, while it, it – I mean, I think it's actually a nation builder template, isn't it? I can't uh, – Carter, talk to me about, uh, before I move it to Corey to get his reaction, well, I yeah. want to talk about his first strategy uh, on messaging and the knife fight uh, that he's entered with Pierre Polyevre. But, Cor- uh, but Carter, before, before I go to Corey, talk to me about Mayor Brown. Why? If, if, if a candidate came to you and said, listen, I want to run for the leadership or whatever. I was a former mayor. Uh, can I just be Minister, minister Doe? Well, can, can I be Mayor Joe Blow? Why Mayor Brown when it's a easy name to pronounce when it when it you know uh what what do you think he's going for here talk me through it because disgraced former leader brown doesn't really quite have the same ring to it um mayor brown check if the url is available yeah (laughs) mayor brown is the cleaning of the reputation he he was thrown out of political life he cleaned his reputation and he became the mayor of uh whatever the hell it is um brampton and when he became the mayor, he was, uh, you know, boom, he, he's in, right? Like, that's his cleansing. So now he's Mayor Brown instead of disgraced former leader Brown. Um, so that's why he did it. And that's a pretty smart play. The fighter leader winner thing is something. And he's fighting, you know, the cho- choice to fight with Pierre Polyev. I mean, arguably, this is the kamikaze candidate all over again. Right. Like he's, if not actively in cahoots with Jean Charest, he's certainly uh, playing the role to a T if he's not actively been asked to play it. 
Uh, interesting. Corey, I need your analysis. Give it to me on Mayor Brown. Give it to me on the URL slash slogan. Give it to me on what you see on the website. And if you want to comment on, on what you saw with the launch, with that initial speech in that packed room in, uh, in Brampton, lay it on me. I think Steven's right about the Mayor Brown thing, and I think it's smart. I can imagine that when they started testing— You think testing, it's smart? Okay. I do. I think when they were starting to test the waters on whether Patrick Brown should run, they probably had a trillion conversations along the lines of, Patrick Brown, isn't he the guy who had to step down in disgrace from the PC leadership? And this is a pretty good way to essentially take that question and preempt it, Right. Mayor Patrick Brown. Oh, he's mayor now. That's right. We all sort of remember he ran for mayor, but this is reminding us that that's it's the a role credible that marker of like credibility. Yeah, yeah, and it does play into the Mayor Pete thing. But I, I think um, in some ways, what's interesting to me there is the things that he didn't do. Like he's not Mayor Patrick. He's not Mayor Pat. He's Mayor Brown. Right. So there's there's trying to be kind of this serious authoritarian, and that that plays into his uh, you know fighter leader winner as well. Like Mayor Pete ironically was a fighter but mayor pete sounds friendly you know it doesn't it doesn't sound like somebody who's a fighter necessarily again ironic because he was literally in the army uh, or in the armed forces so um the the fighter leader winner thing as well (laughs) this one i'm a little more mixed on for mostly because i'm thinking winner I, i don't feel that my dude but it uh it's in a in a way to to Again, do what Steven said and try to scrub it. But I think it's trying a little bit too hard because I don't think we think of Patrick Brown and we think of victory. I think we think of one of the all-time epic flameouts, a crazy fucking time. So it, it doth protest too much, I feel, in this particular context. Yes, he's mayor. Okay. Is he a popular mayor? I guess so. His website said so. I didn't look at any polling in Brampton. But um, winner, I don't know. The idea that that's his URL, that's something that I've done on campaigns before because it's a good way to get your slogan in and to get your URL in in an economy of space, right? Because you don't want to have a big, messy sign that says, like, Zane Velji, neutral party, Zane Velji for neutral.ca, right? Uh, that's just too too wordy. but And then you don't have any room for a slogan. But if you can turn that last one into gonna bring neutrality back.ca you almost get to use your slogan without cluttering up your sign further a little different in a leadership campaign though right because you don't think of leadership campaigns as things where you have lawn signs or where you have to worry about that economy of space so much and in fact most of your advertising that would lead to the website i suspect is already on web and is just one click away but they seem to be wanting to lean into it and uh, i'm guessing mayor brown was taken i haven't gone there so interesting uh, choices all around. Some of them I think were accidental. Some of them I think were trying too hard. Some of them I think were pretty smart. Carter, ex- uh, let's let's nerd out a bit more on the tech, or at least on the f- setup of the website. Pledge your support is the headline, is like the first, it's a pop-up. It's the first conversion ask. Uh, and then when you go to buy a membership, what I find interesting about his website is rather than unlike the Sheree website, which we'll get to in a second, it doesn't port you out to the conservative portal. It actually has its own little form that you fill out internally on fighterleaderwinner.ca before it takes you to buy a membership. Talk to me about the strategy of pledging support 
as like a top line conversion prior to even memberships, which we know this thing is about selling a shit ton of memberships in a narrow window, is pledge your support the right headline, the right initial ask for someone that lands on your your webpage? Give me your, your sense of that and like the modern campaigning. Is this what you would suggest to a candidate if they were one of yours in this conservative leadership race? Let's nerd out on this. Yeah, I mean, the pledge your support isn't bad. Um, people are used to the idea of pledging something, a commitment, if you will. Um, it's a bit of a weird thing because uh, it, it it is, you know, it's really in your face. Like the pop-ups, like I just had another pop-up land on me. Um Pledge of support, pledge of support. I mean, basically what you're trying to do is get data. Um, so in a perfect world, he'd be doing more than just pledge your support. He'd have sign up for updates. Uh, there'd be, um, you know, keep track of, of the, uh, of the, of the race, you know, join here for full updates or something. There'd be something along the, you know, something that brings you through it rather than simply just pledge your support by a membership, pledge a donation. I mean, it is, it's, it's fairly focused on getting immediate positive action instead of just saying, okay, well, let's try and get some data set. Um, cause the data set can then be converted into a membership later using telephones or email. So emails, text, telephones. Um, so it's a bit, you know, simple right now, but, you know, I would probably have multiple ways of doing this and uh, mm. of, ca- of doing capture, um, but I would also probably use multiple landing pages. We'll talk about the multiple ways, especially when we get to one of the other competitors. Corey, your thoughts on this, right? Like, uh, as background, this is what the three of us did in many ways, right? Talk about digital tech, how people land on things, how people convert, funnels, all that sort of stuff. Your thoughts when you see this page in terms of what it's trying to get you to do. Uh, what do you think? Um, well, I, you're right. We do, and we did. This was kind of our past life to talk a lot about this. I will concede that it is a rapidly evolving space, and the tactics that worked mm-hmm. in one year do not necessarily work in another. So it's important to be led by the testing. If they are smart, they've been A-B testing a bunch of different varieties. But I feel very differently about it. I don't like it. I think it's a bad start for the funnel. I think pledge your support feels as strong as buy a membership, but for the dollar. In terms of commit. the high, high bar? Yeah. So I would have, I, I, and again, maybe they've got testing that shows otherwise, but I feel that Patrick Brown is one of these people who, for a big bulk of us, we're going to joke about him being behind door number eight and not take his candidacies that seriously. But we might be willing to hear a little bit more as it goes on. And I feel that sign up for updates, stay connected with the campaign, things of this nature might be more likely to hook me into that orbit. Because I'll tell you, but for the fact that you forced me to come to this website, I'm never fucking coming back to this website. I'm never coming back to this website. And so um, if you would, if you though had said like sign up for updates, maybe I would, you know, get, get a little bit more information. Uh, in terms of the way they do the membership and the way it kicks you to a form before it kicks you to the form. The party website, yeah. Yeah, that's that's really just a way to capture data. I signed up Zane Velji with his email address, so I expect you'll be getting updates for a while. You're purchasing eight memberships, by the way. Patrick Brown is really excited about your support. Yeah, who's Patrick um, Brown? Oh, Mayor Brown. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mayor Brown. I'm sorry. He's known as Mayor Brown. He's known as <laughs> yeah. Mayor Brown. He's a fighter, leader, winner. Uh, y- you might want to consider pledging your support. I just I don't know. I think I think their funnel is a little broken because normally when you think about a funnel, you think about escalating activities, right? One which is broad and easy to do, uh, but gets you into a 
a, a universe where you are going to naturally take those steps down if you're predisposed, right? So get them on a list is kind of the rule number one. From that list, get them engaged in some way, shape, or form. Is membership the next step? Maybe, probably, not necessarily. Depends on what else you've got offering. Then you're talking about volunteering. Then you're talking about donations. You want to have a bunch of different activities available, maybe some merchandise. You build these things out through testing. You have lists. You send half your email list take this next step, you see what the response is. You send the other half your email list, take this next step, see what the response is. And you're really data-driven on these particular exercises. I'm not sure I see a lot of data thinking on this page. I'm not as enamored with it as Carter, who apparently misses Flickr embeds a lot more than I do. But um, again, like it really depends on what their data is saying. Comparing it to the existing sites in this leadership, and it's better, it's the best of the three. Okay, well, let's move on to the other ones. I want, I want to talk about the, the, the slogan, the branding, the marketing of the others. I'll talk about the strategy in a second that they've chosen. Uh, Carter, Jean Charest, jeancharest.ca. Jump on the website. I've got so many questions, but let's start with this. Let's start with the brand, the, the built to win. Give me your thoughts about this. The built to win slogan. Uh, we'll talk about that swooping paintbrush, Microsoft Windows 95 clip art, paintbrush C, but tell me about the built to win. And then we'll talk about the website and, and the lack of social, et cetera, and how we actually think it, whether it will or will not impact their organizing ability. Your thoughts though, Carter, and what you see from the marketing of Jean Charest. Well, built to win, I mean, is the primary, I mean, I hate slogans, but it is the, you know, it's the primary reason to elect him, right, is to win the election. We can only win the election if we can win in Quebec. We can only win the election if we can win in Ontario. I am built to win in those areas. That is, um, you know, that's the the central premise. I like, you know, going back and communicating that isn't a bad thing. But um, man, I mean, this website's kind of tragic. Um, he had weeks to get here. It's still better than the guy, you know, than, than Pierre's. This is, you know, uh, we don't even have the Flickr site, Corey. I mean, all we have is the, you know, the blue picture. I mean, guys, don't color your pictures. Put a picture up of you in color and don't do the, what is this? I want to say it's sepia tone. I don't even know what the fuck this is. It's horrible. Just don't do that. Um, it's a bad website. Corey, built to win. Your thoughts on it? Well, the website isn't, to, to Stephen's point. <laughs> It's by the way, if you pledge a donation, I don't know if you've tried this, there's a button on the website that says pledge a donation. I'll get to it. But I found this to be the most fascinating. It is a fourth button on the main page. First one's buy a membership, join a team, pledge your support, pledge a donation. You can click on pledge a donation, not donate. This is not donate. This is pledging a donation. And when you go to pledge amount, you can actually, in, in fact, go up and down and enter a minus number to pledge a donation to Jean Jure. Uh That is this <laughs> website. You can negative pledge money to Jean Jure. I suggest if you are not a Jean Jure fan that you go to jeanjure.ca, you pledge a donation and you pledge a negative donation to Jean Jure. You know why? Because he wants you to and he allows you to. Corey, I'll let you, I'll let you take it from what you were about to say, but I just noticed that right now <laughs> as we were speaking. Well, it's super basic, and I suspect it will be replaced. This this really does feel like it's like a it's a version one of a page. It's a holding page, and it's going to be coming down and and returned with something a little bit more robust. This is hey, we've got a campaign coming next week, so let's put something together. It's 
it's evident in the way that a couple of the links immediately take you off the page. There's all these various platforms. There's not good integration. Carter is absolutely right about the blue graphic. It just makes him, and his smile is a little bit creepy in the particular picture that's on this. Now, also, my condolences to all our listeners who are going to have us reviewing websites that will be fucking different by the time you listen to it because they I constantly evolve these days. I don't will know. They? I mean, well, I, I don't know if they will be, Corey. I don't we, know if they will be. I thought you were going to apologize that we're actually reviewing websites over a audio medium. Yeah, that's, but, I mean, we should have done this on Twitch. We really should have. No, we could no, have we shouldn't looked. have. This is great. This, is, <laughs> this live reaction of you being constantly disappointed is what I'm here for. But there's a reason I'm doing this. There's a reason I'm talking about the websites and the brand. But, Corey, you want to keep going. Yeah. One of the interesting things about the Charade campaign is its aesthetic to me, which seems like it was set by somebody who was really enamored with uh, the vibe they got in a Radisson in 1997. (laughs) And um, I don't know if that is where they want to be. You know, you talk about Built to Win, but maybe it is. Maybe they want to sort of harken back to a conservative party that was a little bit less scary old school a little bit less scary i'll just carter i'll, I'll yeah, just tell you guys in. we oh. launched the jyoti gondek campaign with the full website uh nine days after she decided that she was going to run um and the day that we launched and all the updates that came afterwards fit into the exact same frame it doesn't have to be like this it doesn't have to be these static or or weak pages uh, and i know we haven't even gotten to the weakest one yet um but i just wanted to say it doesn't have to be like this the, Corey, the what other you thing, I, yeah, the other thing I want to mention is there's a pledge your support button, which we also saw on the Brown campaign, and I already made comments on. Makes me think people are chasing each other, right? They're saying, "Oh, they've got a button, so we've got to have a button like this." And there's a certain reactivity to it, and um, I, they should really be thinking about their marketing in their own context because the, you're not going to come to the same answers for different candidates, right? The funnel might look very different for a Jean Charest than a Mayor Brown. Um, pleasure support might be perfect for Jean Charest because it's, uh, it's about an established candidate and you, and you're going to have kind of that higher, higher next step. Whereas, like I said, Patrick Brown might, might seem like, yeah, we'll see if this is fucking serious. And, and so you need a different first step. Okay, let's. I, I'm going to come back to all three of these because I think brand certainly speaks to style, certainly speaks to the type of race that each one of them is trying to fight. Stephen Carter, Pierre Polyevra. You can go for P- I, I think you can. I'm going to check it while we while we record. This is this is the type of rough shot operation we have here, folks. Pier four pm with the number four ca is a website. However, you don't see it anywhere. You know what you do see on his social media everywhere? It's a Linktree account to Pierre Polyevra. So it's link dot link l i n k t r dot e e slash pier four pm. And on there, what's fascinating is it's a bunch of Google Doc forms. Sign up in English, right? A petition to end mandates, a petition to scrap the carbon tax, a petition to do all of that in French. Very little about buying a membership, very little direct conversion about, you know, donating. This all seems to be aggressive, unabashed, naked 
data mining. And I'm super, super fascinated and curious to get your take on this because out of the three, you've got Patrick Brown, who's probably the most conventional, right? He sets up a nice looking site, his launch videos there. He's got his text. He's got his pledge buttons. That's yeah, serviceable. Jean Charest, you're like, this is a little bit stuck in the past, dude. Your main conversion is to the conservative party website. And then Pierre taking this tactic to not necessarily have a website. And if he does, not necessarily promoting it, but promoting micro issues, small petitions, signups, momentary issues, not really pushing the membership. Curious, Carter, your take on this from a practitioner's perspective. Give me your, your lens on what you see from Pierre Polyevra uh, in his digital knife fight. Uh, I think it's a unbelievable, unbelievably weak way. I mean, I've seen counselor, school board, trustee websites that are better than this. Um, this is, I mean, he doesn't even have his primary website in his link tree. Um, and yeah, I mean, that is a website that's available. Um, but my question is, is this, is this a weakness or is this strategy? You're, you're, I, mean, I just want to be clear. You're saying this is weakness if it is strategy. If this is a strategy, I mean, I understand the, the petition sites. I understand the simple sign-up structures. I think that those things are choices that could be made. And in fact, if you look at his primary site, the sign-up is pretty straightforward. It's right, it's like right there. It is the reason that the site exists. But, you know, like normally when you do a petition, you're, you're doing more than a word, like a, a Google Doc, um, to gather all this information. I, I'm just like, I'm shocked at how, um, absolutely naked it is and how little there is supporting it. Um, why is he running? I mean, if you go to the Pierre 4 PM site, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, it doesn't have any depth. It doesn't, you know, it says take back control of your life. Join me in making Canada the freest nation on earth. Prospective donors due to party adopted online rules. We have to, suspend online donations like it doesn't even make like it's not i don't understand what it is he was the first guy out of the gate he's had weeks and this is what we're sitting on i'm i'm intrigued by your take here i think this is strategy uh cory i'm gonna get your take on this before i personally react so pierre not with a traditional website a link tree with micro donation my micro petitions micro signups on a, on a google doc sort of page simple forms easy to absorb not much content not much policy your take on this especially with perhaps the style of campaign he's trying to run yeah look <laughs> this is the perfect time to have a, a kind of a bigger conversation we're talking about fucking websites. It's 2022. The guy's social media accounts are enormous. He's got 500,000 followers on Facebook. God only knows how many on Instagram. He's got followers all over the Western world who think he's the next coming of I don't know what. Um, Alex P. Keaton, I guess. And uh, he doesn't care about his website. His website serves a purely functional purpose, which is kick him to a petition from my social media, kick him to the donation page from my social media. That's how he's going to win this thing. That's how he's going to build the connections he's going to make. That might also be true of the other candidates. But like, who gives a fuck about a website in 2022? It, it is kind of an anchor for content. End of story. Uh, we put time into it. We want to put a veneer on it. 
But how many people do you think are actually going there as their first engagement with him? When we talk about funnels, the website itself is further down the funnel, which actually now as we've talked this out makes me think maybe their data does show that pledging your support's there because who actually seeks out a website besides somebody who's already a little bit committed? That's not where you go looking for information these days. That's where you go looking for action. It still uh, shows the discussion a brand. I wanted Carter. It still shows a brand and the brand is weak. There is no brand to this. I mean, the the, the page is black Carter, and is, white. Is, this is the practitioner's question. Is the brand in a modern 2022 campaign shown on a website or is it shown with a launch video? Is it shown on a social? Brand is it shown is everything? Everything, every potential interaction starts to formulate the brand. If you do not have everything functioning together with a single brand image, then you are undermining your own brand. What is his brand? You know, is it is it the is it the blue? Is it the black? Is it you know what is he saying? Take back control of your life? Is that his slogan? Like what is this? It's for sure a slogan, yeah. Oh my god, it's pathetic. Oh. That's interesting. I'm interested. I'm intrigued from a practitioner's perspective. You're reacting this way. I get it from an ideological one. I think no, you and I are there. It's tragic from a practitioner's point of view. This is the weakest, especially for the first candidate in. This is just weak brand structure. And I believe in brand politics. I think that brands are what win and lose in politics. And I think this is weak. Okay, let's 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 elevate this for a second, right? Corey, you want to jump in? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, there was a time in politics you weren't a serious candidate unless you had a website, unless you had a, a Facebook page. You know, like there were these kind of like mandatories. But does anybody think, to your point, Stephen, that he couldn't put up a website if he wanted to? Like and this is a conscious good. decision. Like this is, it's like it just it is doesn't it, need to be. Is a it distraction. a conscious decision? Oh, I think you know, it is. For sure, I think it is. I don't know. By tomorrow morning, we could put a page that's 10 times better together why using didn't... various templates from Nation Builder because – He does thinks it matters. I think that's – I think this is the conversation yeah, I want to have. It doesn't matter. It's a time suck. It's, it's, it's not – It does not matter. Going. It does matter. Having just run a campaign, it does Do you know what you matter. sound like though? You sound like the person saying, how could he be a serious candidate if he doesn't have – like a brochure and a, and a banner to unfurl behind him when he's standing on his soapbox. That's no, how you Corey. win campaigns. You have a good soapbox banner, by gum. I, I mean, you just sound There are some things. Like, this is, no, this is bullshit. There are some things that are important and basic. And you, and you said, you know, a candidate couldn't be a serious candidate without a Facebook page. Moments after you said he's got 500,000 followers on Facebook. These things matter because you need to be communicating to the audience and you need the audience but, to be able to get the depth that they require. But that's this not where is the audience he, is going to find them. But here's is, is his not audience my, the depth audience? That's the thing. Is it, it, it and maybe yeah, it's they like, are because they have to buy a membership and you have to have their contact information. Right? That's what you need to have. All a website is these days is a data warehouse for stuff that Facebook won't let you put on Facebook. Oh my god. Yeah, this is intriguing. I thought this would be like a point of like convergence rather than this divergence and i feel like cory and i are a different i guess the question i wanted to well, have we're, is, we're younger and much more with it than steven <laughs> no, well, i'm steven, a practitioner I, and you guys are in, theorists. Ste- in steven's in steven's <laughs> defense he's the one who's run the uh, the most number of successful and the most recent successful campaign so this is interesting to me how much importance you put on i this, will Carter. concede let me let me concede yeah let me concede because, a point to can i ask a broad, because okay, go i'm ahead. a nicer concede person my con- we had far fewer website visits in uh, in the Gonda campaign in the beginning stages than we thought we were going to have. 
and they they ramped up. I got the statistics recently and just looked because I hadn't looked at the last weekend because who cares? We won. But I went back and I looked at at the the number of engagements on the website. It was all like ninety eight percent of engagements that we had on our website were in the last twenty four hours. So it did serve a different purpose, and we didn't do a tremendous amount of data gathering on the website itself. But it wasn't a leadership. It wasn't a leadership. And the leadership requires you to get the data sold. You are selling memberships. And there, there's a couple of different things you need to do on the member, on the, the website. Getting people to sell memberships for you and making it easy for them to buy the membership is foundational. So I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of this because I don't think, I don't think it's supposed, it, it achieves what it's supposed to achieve in a leadership campaign. I Let's could talk be about wrong. brand. I want to elevate this because, Carter, you said this is about brand. Let's talk about the brands of these guys beyond the websites because this is where I wanted to use as a jumping off point. Pure Polyevra, attack ads, off the bat, as soon as Sheree enters, boom. As soon as uh, Mayor Brown, sorry, Patrick Brown, Mayor Brown enters, boom, attack ad. What do you think, Carter? Scorch Earth politics? Is that one, one that's almost like if he wins, not even creating any room to welcome that them back in? Uh, not going after Trudeau right away, going after each other. What do you think of Pierre's strategy or the Polyev campaign strategy of just going bare knuckle against his opponents right out the gate? When you're winning, you've got to put your foot on the on the neck of the opponent. We did that with uh, Jeff Davison in Calgary uh, when he launched in May, and we banged on him right from the beginning. We did not allow him to get oxygen to enable him to grow. And Pierre Polyev is in front he is the person who is uh, most likely to win this if he's able to stifle the growth of the others. So hit him with a negative. Boom. There used to be a school of thought that you don't hit with it from a negative when you're in front. That's bullshit. You hit from the negative whenever you can hit from the negative. And I, I love the tactic. I think that that's the best play he's made. Brand the other guys and put them in the hole. Corey? Master stroke of a tactic. Brand them early as soon as they launch on the day of. Pick a fight with them. What do you think? Yeah, I I have a hard time faulting the tactic. I I could stretch and make an argument for why it might backfire, but I'm not sure I would believe it. But the the argument would be Pierre Polyev is seen as overly pugilistic, and this is going to reinforce that view of yeah. him. You know, he's kind of a shit heel, and this this is shit heel behavior to do this so aggressively right off the top. And he's put together you know, an aggressive campaign to date. And that might be exactly what the party wants. Certainly there is a bit of a vibe out there. And that's certainly what his core supporters are looking for. But it might be a little too much for some people. So hard to say. But as we always say, like as much as it can come back and blow back on you, if you do a negative campaign against your opponents, the negatives do tend to stick and people do tend to remember the negative messages. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time faulting the tactic as much as I think it's kind of um, kind of aggressive and kind of crappy. Carter, I want to talk about Jean Charest. You know, um, his campaign, slow out of the gates, in a sense, website, digital, etc. People are like, oh, is this a campaign from a bygone era? And then, lo and behold, kind of seems a bit to be a campaign from a bygone era. Uh, in that sense, though, agree or disagree with the following statement I'll put in front of you, that his social media silence shouldn't be mistaken as uh, him not being able to organize. That those are two different things. That there might actually be an upside that he's not entering the fray, keeping above it, maybe not spending too much time or resources on digital brand when he knows that the only fucking thing that might matter is selling a shit ton of memberships every day. 
Is there a case to be made there, or are, are these two things so tied to the hip these days that you succeeding on the air war is tied to how good you do on the ground game of selling memberships and their leadership? I guess the question is fundamentally, is Sheree just saying, I'm going to put my fucking resources in what's important? I'm known as an organizer. I'm just going to go fucking do that. Is there a case to be made with that, or is the early air war lack of Sheree in the media perhaps a little bit of a lumpy start to begin with, giving you pause in terms of what the firepower of this campaign could be. He launches his campaign. Um, it was okay. It was a good launch. And then he, his next event that he goes to, the pictures that come out are pretty weak. It's not a full room. It doesn't look like it's packed. It doesn't look like it's got any energy. Then he gets diagnosed with, ca- uh, with um, covid and then his his website looks like he's auditioning for the Blue Man Group. I mean, I think that overall, this isn't something that is, in fact, a a strong launch. Um, he has to have social media. You know, Corey's kind of rather dismissive. It wasn't that long ago you felt like everybody had to have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, an Instagram page. You need a Facebook page, a Twitter page, an Instagram page. Um, there's an up, we're up in the air on TikTok, but that's about it. You need to have a social mes- media presence. You need to have... Oh, you got to have the TikTok. Do you? So, uh, the TikTok's fundamental hard. question... No, you know what's interesting to me? And this is why I find this interesting, is that, you know, we are we entering a phase of, like, campaign minimalism? That by being so old school, if you're Sheree, you might be entering into new forte being like, fuck this shit that has no ROI. Twitter, Facebook, whatever, fuck it, website, I don't care. I'm just going to do the work. Carter, you disagree. Corey, I want you to get your, your take on this, what you see from the, 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 the light touch that Sheree is giving. Let's put it that way, to, to digital and, and the air war. Uh, should we discount the campaign for that, for that reason? You know, sometimes my, my three-year-old will just run around the room and just run around and run around, and you start thinking, what is he doing? And you try to imagine the game that he's playing in his own head. And then you just remember that he's just, just, you know, three and, and there's no magic to it. He's just, there's not a thought going on about it. And so I do think we're somewhat doing the same here and trying to see strategy where perhaps there is none. Um, your point about ROI is a good one. The ROI conversation doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not so much is social media worth it? Is a website worth it? Mm-hmm. It's, is mm-hmm. it worth it right now with what I've got available right now relative to my other priorities? Right. And, I think that's the thing. We're this is very early days. We're still not even at a point where you can accept donations as a leadership candidate for the conservatives. That's correct. Hence so the why? Pledging. Yeah, like so. Why would your website be the priority at this particular moment? It wouldn't be. Uh, you'd be looking at other ways that you can build these things out. So we should sort of say that that maybe there's more to that than some kind of like new wave movement towards campaign minimalism. The website just can't do the thing you need a website to do at this particular moment. Can I ask you a question? Oh, go ahead, Corey. You you wanted to finish a point there. And then I want to ask you guys a question about Sheree. Your point about ROI, though, is a very good one. Because my point about used to be you needed to have a Facebook page, you need to have a Twitter page. There was kind of this sense that you were not a valid candidate unless you maintained all of these channels, no matter how little ROI they were providing. I didn't mean... Facebook's bad. Uh, any of these tactics can be fine if they meet your strategy. But the point is, there is a little bit more sophistication, both on behalf of campaigns and on the voters to say, 
like I, it doesn't tell me anything about this candidate, whether they have one of these channels or not, right? Uh, it doesn't say, for example, that uh, Pierre Polyev is not serious because he doesn't have a polished website at this moment. And so knowing that you're not going to be disqualified for the lack of it and knowing that the ROI might not be there, especially relative to other things, you're going to make different decisions. And there's a different sophistication that's saying, all right, we could blow our brains out right now before anything is settled, before we're even that clear on our brand because we're still feeling about in a lower cost space, right? We could build it towards a brand that we're not sure about, or we could wait until those things clarify, wait until we actually have content we need to put on a website, do our web work then. That, that to me, makes an awful lot of sense. Carter, I want to ask you a strategy question, strategy brand question. You seem to disagree with everything Corey and I say today, which is great. Carter, Jean Charest, does he stick in this statesman lane, or does he say, fuck it, I, I'm in a knife fight? And I'm just going to spring my own knife. Does he start picking fights? Does he start trying to get himself into media? Does he start trying to attack and go after Pierre and Patrick Brown? What would you be telling that group? And, and I mean, you had 15 minutes with that campaign. So what would you be telling that campaign today if you had the opportunity around, look at the terrain? The type of campaign we have may not be the one. Is that what you'd be saying? And, and, and what would you be encouraging they do in these early days of, of launch and post-launch? Charest's got to be the strongest campaign, period. Um, and this would be my case about the social media stuff and all of the, you know, on the website. Everything he does has to be the best in the game. Everything he does needs to be better than everybody else's because, and then, and then when he's attacked by Pierre, he gets to say, of course I'm being attacked by Pierre. I'm built to win. Everybody knows that I'm the one who's going to win this thing. Pierre has to bring me down. Uh, of course, Patrick Brown and Pierre are fighting. The two little people are going to do that, but I'm above that. I'm going to be the be- I'm going to have the best policy ideas. Like he did a piece today on uh, time to increase spe- uh, defense spending that was running, you know, the line in Jen Gerson's thing. Um, for me, I wouldn't have put it there. If it couldn't run in the National Post, if it couldn't run in the Globe and Mail, like that's where he should be putting his stuff. He needs to be above everything else. He needs to be better than everybody else. He's the former premier, for God's sake. Who the fuck? is Pierre Polyev? What did he do? Nothing. Nothing. Patrick Brown, you know, the failed former leader of the Ontario party, like this is easy for him to get past and be the number one candidate. And that's the brand that he should be stoking and employing. And he should be doing everything and he should be doing everything better than everybody else because he he needs to put himself in the front runner category very, very quickly. Can I ask Corey. a question? Can I test something? Sure. Yeah. Do yeah, we yeah. think Built to Win is actually the best brand for for Jean Charest? I don't know if it is. I don't. I'm curious. <laughs> I don't know if you're actually asking me for my thoughts, but Carter, maybe you give your no, first. No, you though, you do yours not first, the and then I'll correct you. <laughs> does this group want to win, or does they do they want purity? It becomes the question. No. Right and 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 I and I think perhaps if you're Pierre, you're selling both. That's not you're, even my question, but yeah, right. That's uh, fuck it. Okay, if you're if you're no. Pierre, you're probably selling ideological consistency from the get and a strategy that will beat uh, Justin Trudeau, especially after the proof points of you can win elections with thirty three percent. If that's not your question, maybe you can rephrase it and, and Carter can can answer. No, I mean I, you are answering the question I asked. I just disagree with your answer. I, okay. I think Pierre Polyev. The reason he's Polyev for PM is that he is he is saying that he can win. I mean, there's a conversation about if he's just strong enough, he can do this. Like mainlining it to PM, yeah. 
built to win, I get it. It's talking about his value as a, uh, you know, like a proven winner. And if the Conservatives want to win, they need to move towards the middle. I don't know. I want to hear Carter's thoughts, and I'll share my thoughts. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what Carter's going to say here. The last two guys who did this, who won the won the leadership, lost. Conservatives are tired of losing. They don't want to have to bring back Stephen Harper. They want to win. So the person who's most likely to win is the person who can win in Quebec. That's Sean Charest. That's what I said earlier. He is built to win. He is constructed to win this race in this fashion at this time. I think it's an ideal. I don't like slogans. I'd brand him this position instead of sloganing him. But I would absolutely, everything that I would do would be showcasing the fact that I have the most money, the most experience, the most thought, the most capacity, the best chance to win the election. Because ultimately, winning the leadership is useless. No one gives a shit if you win the leadership. You have to win the election, period. That's the only goal that matters. What are you you thinking, Corey? I'm thinking that a lot of the people who are drawn to Jean Charest are drawn to him not because he's a winner, but because he's a sane person. And his pool might be bigger. If he's got, let's put it this way. I don't think any three of us think he's going to win the Conservative Party as it exists today. His chance is making a Conservative Party that's bigger and, and a broader tent. And I don't know if his best value prop isn't more like, I'm the sane one, or let's have two sane, like he can't say let's have two sane leaders or anything, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's probably something to be said for bringing us back to better days. And the subtext there about how we used to have two serious national parties and now we have two unserious national parties in in many ways. And it would be good to have a a strong, credible conservative party that didn't hang out with, uh, you know, convoy protesters and suggest overthrowing the government as legitimate political discourse. But I think that that can be part of built to win. I think that that sanity element can be put into this is the only way we're going to win. This is the winning formula. Carter, Patrick Brown, what are you thinking? Are you thinking the the knife fight he's entered initially with Pierre Polyever is exactly what he needs to do? Yeah, I mean, he, he needs to be seen. He needs to generate a shit ton of media. And if Pierre's prepared to share that with him, and frankly, I think that while he may not be the kamikaze candidate that's investigated by the RCMP for four years, as Jason Kenney's uh, Jeff Calloway has been, um, I think that he is, in fact, a kamikaze candidate that is designed to take down Pierre. So he's got to fight Pierre every day um, and uh, allow Charest to be above the fray, be the leader. What do you think Brown needs to do, Corey? I, 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 he's got to fight. He's just got to get into the news. He's got to talk about mm. these things. He's got to move past the messiness that was there uh, that we all remember when he— he left the leadership of the PCs and handed it to the now Premier Doug Ford. So it's all about making as much noise as possible if you're him. You've got to get into the conversation. And and in a way, he's done an okay job of that. It was not so long ago we were openly joking about Patrick Brown's candidacy, right? Just going back to that well perpetually, because it's fucking funny when you think about it. Yeah, it's yeah. really fucking funny. No, it, it was prophetic that I spent so much time 
on Door 8. And I'm glad you guys chose Door 8. Chris, you know, uh, if you haven't heard that episode, folks, uh, an excellent one. Uh, not rivaled, uh, of course, by this one, uh, this, which, is, which is going really well for everybody. Uh, Stephen Carter is yawning in his blazer. Yeah, we always <laughs> hit our stride at the 90-minute mark. Yeah, this is good. I'm going to leave that segment. I've got so much to ask you. I'm going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our final segment, our over, <laughs> under, and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, overrated, underrated campaign chairs they were announced recently for jean charay mike coates tasha Carradine. they've been announced for the other campaigns campaign chairs as a position i'm very curious about this we'll do a deeper conversation but for now overrated or underrated in your mind overrated they, they get in the way of the campaign management they think they're smart and most of the time you just need to move them out of the way tell them to go raise money if they don't raise money then just tell them to you know stand stand back and and introduce us nicely at the uh at the big event uh when we win Corey, campaign chairs overrated or underrated in your mind um overrated generally i think slightly more important in leadership campaigns because well the these might not necessarily be household names to everybody in canada you know mike coates we we all know mike mike was mm-hmm. our boss when we worked at hill and Knowlton. mike is a well-known name in conservative circles um Tash is a well-known name. And uh, what you're trying to do is signal that a a certain group of people are coalescing around the particular candidate. Still think they're overrated. I think it would be super easy to run a campaign with no campaign chairs. It's been done many times. I sometimes think it's a lot easier for for the Mm -hmm. purposes that Stevens talked about. Campaigns can really run off the rails when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and sometimes that clarity of vision is is more important than the signals you think you're sending based on who your campaign chairs are. Quite the conservatives uh, to enter the race for leader are having a three hundred thousand dollar entry fee. In your mind, overrated or underrated, the barrier to entry to, to, to run for a conservative leader, their argument that they've been given is we don't want a, a massive parade of folks running. We don't want to make it too easy. But 300K, overrated or underrated in your mind? Uh, I mean, 300K, that's, what is that, like three weeks of groceries? I've, I've lost touch with the common person. It seems okay. Seems seems fine. Yeah, three weeks of groceries <laughs> with your household uh, seems about right. Carter, overrated, underrated, three hundred k for entry fee for the conservative leadership race. Well, I mean, these things are ridiculous now. Um, the 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 donation limit is low. Uh, the entry fees are high. Um, you know, the, the, take take a higher percentage off the donations. Um, let more people run. Like. You're still not going to have a huge number of people running if you make it one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, like I know it costs a lot of money to run these campaign or to run the leaderships, um, but the parties have just started to use them as their de facto fundraising, uh, and I think that's a mistake. Carter, are you in or are you out on the conservative strategy? The party right after President Zelensky's speech to the uh, 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 in Canada ultimately said that they want to secure Ukrainian airspace, knowing it's something that the government could definitely not do. Are you in or out on the Conservative Party's what seemed like knee-jerk strategy to call for the securing of Ukrainian airspace? What do you think? The Conservatives' knee-jerk strategy should be their fucking slogan. Um, they they bounce around and try and this is what happens when you don't stick to principles and don't st- and instead try and just play gotcha with the uh, with the government. Um, they're playing gotcha with the government. 
They know, and the government knows, that if you impose a no-fly zone over the Ukraine, you could be shooting down Russian jets and Russian fighter planes, and that just opens up an an escalation that no one can handle. Um, On top of that, are you going to be shooting down missiles? Like, the missiles that are coming from from Russia, um, we may not have a defense for in a, in in that type of fly, no fly zone. So what the hell are you doing? What are you even talking about? Stop showing your ignorance and stand simply stand with the people who are trying to help Zelensky and trying to help the Ukrainian people. Um, don't make this partisan. Don't make it worse. Corey, are you in or out on the conservative strategy to call to secure Ukrainian airspace? Um. You know, spiritually, I'm with them. I want to do more to help Ukraine. I think it's one of those situations that I look back on. And on a certain level, it's it's their country, right? Should they? Is it really outrageous that we would be able to fly over their country with their permission and secure that airspace? Countries have the right to secure their airspace. But on another much more practical level, Obviously, it's a no-go. Obviously, it would create a very, very dangerous situation for the entire world. And we're going to have to find other ways that we can put the pressure on Russia and other ways that we can support Ukraine and uh, the Ukrainian people. The parallel here, you know, no-fly zone sounds so non-confrontational. Like, we're just not going to fly, right? But this is talking about sending our forces into Ukraine to stop other countries' forces. The equivalent truly is, truly is, if we said, let's send our army to Ukraine, because then the Russians can't take their army into Ukraine. Mm -hmm. When you think about it in those terms, without the no-fly phraseology, I think people would say, that's entering an active war zone. Well, that's true with planes too, my friends. And so let's, let's just sort of calm ourselves down and try to find other ways that we can help. I really want to help the Ukrainian people. I I think uh, I'm going to take a bold stance here. Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. Yeah, I know. Uh, but this is not the way to do it. This this is a nuclear power, and we would be setting up a really dangerous Guns of August situation. Or worse, I mean, Guns of August didn't even involve armies, you know, in active combat with each other and another army butting in. Corey, I'm going to go to the final question, starting it with you. One sentence. For Jason Kenney, as he rests his head tonight, as he thinks about the future prospects of his leadership, his job, his party that he helped create, what one word of strategic advice would you whisper to one Jason Kenney on this fine Wednesday evening? What's done is done. You know, the die is cast and assess what the situation is, but that's that's it like assess and then and then decide accordingly you're not going to be able to change the fundamental variables at play here carter one sentence one phrase of advice for jason kenny on this fine wednesday evening resign <laughs> really now you would you you tell him that now you're you're on his side carter i think that, that might be the best thing they have more data than we do, and if I had all the data, I would I would know more. But I think that that's the the best play for him. Wow! Out of retirement, we are back. That's a wrap on episode nine seventy three of the Strategist. My name is Zane Velju. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we will see you next time.